Good morning to everyone <laughs> here in the room and online. I'm really glad that Pastor Joe has asked me to speak today, uh, opening this new series on things we should talk about more often, because there is one rather neglected subject, cross-cultural ministry, that's very close to my heart. Cross-cultural ministry, also known as missions, focuses on outreach to people known variously as refugees, immigrants, foreigners, and aliens. <clears throat> Some of these people are Christians, but most are not. Some live in the United States, but most live in other countries. This is quite a big subject, so there will be time for questions and answers at the end, and I ask please do write down any questions you have as you think of them, and we'll have a chance to talk about them later. So what does the Bible say about refugees? What does God tell us about how we should respond to refugees? There's a lot. It's in almost every page of the Bible. Some of the most notable biblical figures, patriarchs, kings, prophets, apostles, were themselves refugees. Here are a few. Jacob fled his homeland when he feared his brother Esau would kill him. It was more than 20 years before they saw each other again. Moses fled Egypt because he feared the Pharaoh would kill him. He didn't see his homeland again for 40 years. David fled the persecutions of King Saul for many years and at one point sought asylum with a foreign king. After defeating the 450 prophets of Baal, the prophet Elijah fled from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel who had promised to kill him. Ruth the Moabitess left her homeland to follow her mother-in-law to a foreign land where she was kindly received and given work by Boaz. Rahab fled the defeat and destruction of her hometown of Jericho and married an Israelite, becoming an ancestor of Jesus. Even Jesus himself became a refugee, fleeing certain death at the hands of King Herod. Matthew 2.16 tells us, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders uh, to kill all the boys in Jerusalem, I'm sorry, in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. And in the New Testament, the persecution in Jerusalem of the followers of Jesus forced them to scatter, taking the good news of salvation with them far and wide and starting some of the earliest churches. What else does scripture tell us about God's attitude towards refugees and foreigners? The Hebrew word ger is translated as alien or foreigner, and it appears 92 times in the Old Testament. So God had a lot to say. Many of these references that mention God's particular care and love for the foreigner appear along with two other groups that the Lord is especially concerned about, widows and orphans. 36 times in the Old Testament, God names specific obligations that Israel has towards aliens, widows, and orphans. Here are just two of those passages telling how God wants people to be treated. In Leviticus 19, 33 to 34, God tells Israel, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as you love yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. 
And in Deuteronomy 18, uh, 10, 18 through 19, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So they are to be treated fairly and compassionately and like the Israelites themselves. The biblical mandate can be summarized like this. Treat refugees the way you want to be treated. Love foreigners because God does too. But in the New Testament, God goes beyond this and commands all his followers to actively work to bring people from all nations into his kingdom by sharing the good news of salvation with them. This command is known as the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. It was the last thing that Jesus said on earth before he returned to the Father, so we know it was important. And when our Lord Jesus Christ gave this last command to his faithful followers, he foresaw the end of time and the day of judgment, as described in the book of Revelation. In that day, multitudes from every nation, tribe, language, and people will surround the throne of God, praising the Lamb. It is God's passionate desire that all nations and all people should be saved and none should be lost. Today, as the spiritual children of those first believers, we still have that calling to obey. We need to talk about this more. So why don't we? There are lots of reasons, I suppose. People have busy lives. We tend to respond to what's urgent rather than what's important. We tend to respond to our immediate needs, and it's easy to not see refugees and immigrants. What is out of sight is often out of mind. We don't hear a lot of sermons on the Great Commission, and missions tend to lag behind other ministries in most churches. And the missionaries themselves are serving the kingdom in places where we ourselves are not, where we're not living and working. They aren't present in our daily lives so we don't see them. I've actually heard godly pastors and leaders say, we don't have time for missions now. And maybe we will revisit that topic after fill in the blank, whatever that is for them. Some have even told me that to talk about missions would alienate their congregations because people have stereotypes of missions that conjure up images of colonialism and cultural imperialism. Friends, none of these excuses, none of these reasons are acceptable to the Lord. Missions needs to be part of a church's foundational DNA, not an add-on when there's time or when it's convenient. If a church waits until it's convenient to start cross-cultural outreach, that day often never comes. Something else always comes along that seems more urgent. And if cross-cultural outreach gets added on later, often it's the first ministry to be cut when times are hard or priorities change. But we are called to be different. Our Savior commands it. We must be intentional in making missions and cross-cultural ministries central, as central to our uh, church life as every other ministry. If that seems intimidating, 
Remember that the same spirit that dwells in you here in Catonsville is at work in some of the most desolate places on earth. Your global church family wants your heart and your prayers. And your Lord Jesus wants you to witness about his love, salvation, and faithfulness to all. Bishop Michael Curry is the presiding bishop and primate of the Episcopal Church in America and once led St. James Church in inner city Baltimore. Some know him as the pastor who gave the sermon at the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Bishop Curry said, it's all too easy for faith communities to drift slowly towards existing primarily for the good of their members. Yet the church is the only society that exists primarily for those who are not its members. Meaning, the church exists to, be, to bring the lost and perishing into the kingdom of God, not to be a club for its members. If you're only getting information and testimony from people who look like you and sound like you, you're ultimately getting an incomplete and less than truthful picture of the global church. It takes effort to read and hear the stories of those who are invisible from our daily lives, but it's so important. We should be talking about this more. Let's turn now to the refugee situation in Europe. We know God has a special place in his heart for the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner, for the poor, the oppressed, the weak, and the disadvantaged. And let me tell you, some of the most downtrodden, oppressed people in the world are refugees. Desperate to, ex- to escape violence, warfare, and certain death, thousands of people from many com- countries make the wrenching decision every day to leave their homelands and seek the safety of other places. This is happening all over the world and on every continent except Antarctica. There are presently more than 65 million refugees globally, and they are in every part of the world. These are staggering numbers, almost beyond comprehension, hard for the mind to grasp. But we don't talk about them much. Today I'm going to talk to you about just one region, Europe. The refugee crisis in Europe, which started in 2015, is still underway and continues to be a major political, social, and economic issue in the European Union. In the years since the crisis and exodus began, millions of people have fled their homelands for the relative safety of Europe. And they are still coming, but they don't get the media attention like they did in those days in 2015 and 2016. Some circumstances in Europe have changed since then, and not to the good for the refugees. Many countries have closed and hardened their borders against these migrants, making it much harder for them to find refuge. But people are still coming to Europe, and the crisis is still alive, because there is still warfare, violence, and persecution in their native lands. Hundreds are still arriving every week. The majority of these refugees in Europe are coming from Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, and Syria, which are all Muslim-majority countries. Peace and stability have not returned to any of these nations, 
In fact, violence, repression, abuse, and warfare are escalating in all of them, compelling people to flee. We see it in the news every day that the Taliban are gaining power in Afghanistan. In Syria, airstrikes and bombings continue. And in Iraq, drone raids and rocket attacks are still occurring as armed groups battle for control. Refugees are starting to arrive in Europe from West Africa now as well. Why is that? Many people in the West think that the Islamic State has been defeated and disbanded, but that's not true. While they have suffered setbacks in the Middle East, they are regrouping in Africa. In fact, both ISIS and Al-Qaeda are resurging and growing increasingly powerful in West African countries such as Senegal, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, and Chad. All these nations have Muslim majorities. For these refugees, Europe is the safe haven of choice, but legal entry into the European Union is impossible for most. Consequently, people find their own ways of getting into Europe. Most people will walk overland from their home countries to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. From there, they must make dangerous sea crossings to get into the closest country in the European Union. Greece is that country. <clears throat> Particularly in the Eastern Mediterranean. We've all heard about the famous, beautiful islands of Greece. Many of these islands are quite close to the coast of Turkey, 100 or even 50 miles away by boat. A short but dangerous ride for the refugees. For refugees, Athens has become a gateway city and a critical stop on the way to safety and freedom. All this is where the Lord is leading me to serve him. So why is all this important for the advancement of the kingdom of God? Why should we be talking about all of this? It's because refugees are spiritually open. Surprisingly, many refugees arrive in Greece disenchanted with Islam, the faith of their forefathers. Why is that? After surviving incredible dangers and difficulties, many of these desperate refugees arrive in Greece feeling lost and hopeless. They are asking a lot of big life questions, such as, why did I survive when my wife did not? How will I care for my children when my husband is lost? How will I live with the shame of what has happened to me? Where is God in all of this? Islam provides little comfort to these hurting people. Such questions are not acceptable in Islam, but people still hold them in their hearts. How will they find answers to these difficult questions? Also, they have witnessed Muslims making war against Muslims, which contradicts the idea of universal Muslim brotherhood. In fact, it's often these very conflicts that have forced them to become homeless refugees. Another reason is that they have seen that the rich Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and Kuwait have not taken in their brother Muslims from Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, and other countries in their hour of need. 
Instead, these desperate ones have turned to traditionally Christian Europe. These Muslim refugees have seen that it's often the churches and Christian organizations who help them and treat them with kindness, love, and dignity. This is where Christians are stepping in. Because of their disenchantment with Islam, the kindness of Christians, and the tragic circumstances of their lives, Muslim refugees are now more open to the gospel than ever before. And we love it when they ask these big life questions. It gives us the chance to speak about the constant love and faithfulness of our Savior. We don't want to discourage questions. We're not afraid of questions. We love to have conversations with them. This is so exciting. God, in his wisdom, mercy, and plan for the nations, is now using the human tragedies of war and violence to bring millions of Muslims out of their homelands and into Europe, where Christians can freely speak with them. This is a tremendous opportunity for the gospel because the nations are coming to us. We should be talking about this. <laughs> so what about here in Maryland? Our state has generally been welcoming to international students, immigrants, and refugees, but there's much more to be done. Some local international ministries include international student organizations, such as the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students and InterVarsity at Johns Hopkins University and other colleges. Kingdom Reign, World Relief, the Salaam Refugee Center are all based here in our area. One of your elders, Katie, is deeply committed to assisting refugees and immigrants right here in our community. But the best thing in all of this is to become a global Christian. So what is that? What is a global Christian? A global Christian is a follower of Jesus whose life has been transformed by an understanding of faith that transcends one's own culture and comfort zone, especially focusing on people groups in other countries. But I'll give you a warning right now. Once you start thinking like a global Christian, you will start thinking differently and your life will be changed. So how do we go about becoming a global Christian? Here are some suggestions. Be intentional about expanding your horizons beyond your own Jerusalem. Most of us only focus on what's in our immediate vicinity. Read one book of the Bible and note all the references to God's heart for the world. Then read another book of the Bible, and then another one, until you've searched the whole Bible so you get a complete picture of what God's attitude is towards all the nations. Learn about ministries around the world that are bringing the good news to those who don't know Jesus. Learn about the persecuted church in other countries. Follow Christian organizations that help the persecuted church, such as International Christian Concern, Barnabas Fund, Open Doors, Voice of the Martyrs, and Compassion International. There are many, many more. You Google it, you'll find a long list of such organizations. Become aware of other believers everywhere. Here's a question for you. Can you name five countries in the world where the persecution of believers is the worst. Pray for the, these persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. They really long for your, your prayers. 
and pray for those who don't yet believe. Follow international news so you know and understand the issues facing people in other countries. Get to know some missionaries. They generally have tons of stories of faith, love, and perseverance that they would love to share with you. So encouraging. Read missionary biographies. Take the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course. In short, put your faith into action. We are blessed to be a blessing. We have a duty, a responsibility, and a command from our Lord to seek out the lost and share the story of salvation with them. We need to do this even with individuals or groups of people that we may not like, maybe even people we consider our enemies. God wants all people to come to saving faith in Jesus and for none to be lost. It's such a big world out there, more than 7 billion people in the, in the world, and it can seem overwhelming. A few weeks ago, Pastor Joe asked us, what am I willing to give up so others can hear about Jesus? Maybe you've come to an answer on that, but if not, I ask you to pray about how God would have you serve his kingdom, listen to what he says, and be led by the Spirit, and then do what he leads you to do. Let's talk about this more. I would love to answer any questions that you have about anything that I've said. Janet, I'd love to hear. Thank you. First of all, I want to just want to say thank you for dedicating your life uh, to, to, to missions, to, to refugees, to, to the work that you're doing. Um, I, I don't know if you feel like the church at large has just thanked you and, and encouraged you enough, but I just think that is, that is so important for us as a local congregation um, to, to, to be supportive of you and just to thank you so much for the work you're doing. Um, specifically, though, I'd like to hear more about how this work that, that you've involved your life in, how has it affected your testimony and how did your faith uh, come about? Um, and, uh, you know, how, is, how has your walk with Christ been affected by your work? Well, I became a believer at the age of 45, and two years later I was on the mission field. So they're kind of interconnected. <laughs> um, when I was a child, um, we went to church every Sunday, but it was very nominal, very superficial. Um, and when I was 15, I, I walked away from the church, even though my family forced me to attend church. I you know, stand there like this. You know how teenagers are. Uh, so I consider that I left the church when I was 15. And 30 years later, a friend invited me to a church. Uh, this was in uh, the suburbs of Washington. Uh, and I got hooked. <laughs> the Holy Spirit just um, got me. And uh, I became a believer, was just so excited about faith and I, I came to a point where I had to make some career decisions. I had, I had some big things that were uh, coming up. And I prayed a prayer of surrender. I said, Lord, I've been making all the decisions in my life up until now, so this one is, is up to you. I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do, wherever it is, whatever it is. You just have to make it clear to me because I'm new at this. <laughs> being a new believer. 
And um, sure enough, uh, through a series of circumstances, um, he made it very clear that he wanted me to uh, serve him in Central Asia. I had no connections there. Uh, I hadn't studied it in school or anything like that, but I knew that that's where he wanted me to go. So I went and served there for a total of about 13 years. But while I was there the last time, I felt, and this was to around 2015, I saw that God was uh, bringing my attention more and more to what was happening with the refugees. And through another series of circumstances, um, God brought me to Europe. I transferred with my sending organization and uh, came to Europe. And now I am trying to get back there uh, to get to uh, Athens, as you've heard, um, there's a tremendous amount happening with refugees there. That's the short version. <laughs> Does anyone else have a question? <laughs> run, 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 run. That's the fastest I've seen Joe run in a long time. <laughs> uh, I don't want to ramble on, Janet, and I really I admire you for what you're doing. Uh, we hear a lot about this, uh, and you're just part of the world that uh, we hear about. And I just, you know, we have so many parts or problems in our country, and so many problems of our own. How do we find, I don't know, what is the answer to all this? And if you do see an answer to this, do you see any improvement whatsoever? Uh, I don't see an improvement. And is there anything on the horizon that's going to kind of, you know, give us a little hope? Thank you. There's always hope. There is always hope. And I, I hear this question a lot. You know, like we've got so many problems here in our own country. Why are you going over there? We, we have a lot here that we have to take care of. And I'm not saying that every single person should go overseas. What I'm saying is... <clears throat> You should ask God what he wants for you. And I was just so ha I mean, I had no concept of any of this. I had only been a believer for two years when God called me onto the field, but I was so glad that he answered me. <laughs> you know? uh, but I think, again, the important thing is that you have a surrendered heart, and God will use that. Not everybody is going to, he's not going to call everybody to, to go overseas. Um, but the important thing is to be committed in advance that you will do whatever it is he wants you to do. He may want you to be involved in um, the, the children's ministry. He may have you doing inner city work with homeless. Um, he could have you working with widows and orphans here in Catonsville. I don't know. I mean, it's up to the Lord what he wants each individual to do. But I know that there's hope. Back here. Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> Joe's getting all of his daily exercise today. Sorry, Pastor Joe. I don't mean to give you a morning workout here, but uh, uh, somebody who's interested in, you know, maybe living overseas and, and kind of doing missionary work, what type of training or, I guess, qualification is needed, I guess, for any future missionaries if looking to get into the field? Mm-hmm. Great question. 
there are, uh, most, most people that uh, become missionaries go with uh, a sending organization. Uh, that, uh, because it's really hard to kind of go as just an individual and show up and start doing the things that you need to do. <clears throat> so um, skills of all kinds are needed. Some people say, well, you know, I don't have a seminary degree, I can't go. That's not true at all. Um, I don't have a seminary degree. Um, because a lot of the countries need people with practical skills. Um, and again, it depends on, on where you feel that God is, is calling you to. Uh, being called to minister in a, uh, a developing country is very different from uh, being called to a country in the European Union or something like that. So there are lots of skills, uh, practical skills, that can be applied anywhere you would go. But the most important thing is your Christian witness that you are showing love. Even before you learn the local language, people are going to have developed an opinion about you based on how you act because love doesn't need to be fluent in another language because love is its own language. And they'll see how you treat people. Uh, they'll understand that your heart is uh, to, to help people. So if you're interested in pursuing that, finding out more about it, First thing is to pray about it. <clears throat> and if you have and you feel that <clears throat> you're being called overseas, <clears throat> there are <clears throat> many different sending organizations. I'm with one called Pioneers. And uh, these organizations are very skilled at helping you to understand uh, maybe what, um, if you need some additional education or what countries. Um, you could consider, and so forth. So uh, if you have any uh, more detailed questions about it, I would be happy to talk to you about it um, after we're finished. But there's a lot of resources out there to help people who want to serve the kingdom beyond their own Jerusalem. Maybe one more question? Janet, uh, we have a, a tremendous number of people coming in at our southern border, and I was wondering uh, what as Christians should we be doing to help those who are refugees, and, and, and what is being done already? Well, there are already Christian organizations that are working with that uh, flood of uh, people that are coming into the United States. Um, and again, you know, it depends on, for you personally, what is the Lord leading you to do? <clears throat> if you speak Spanish, then you've got a gift that can be readily used down there. Um, and, you know, sometimes people have a hard time distinguishing between a political position and what the Bible says. I'm not making any comments about um, politics, <clears throat> but you know when I hear people talk about illegal aliens or illegal immigrants, my opinion is no person is illegal. Every person that has drawn breath, that's, that's been born into this world, has a right to be here. They may not have the right papers 
They may need more documents, um, but every person is made in the image of our Lord, and every person deserves to hear about the love and mercy and salvation of Jesus. Thank you so much, Janet. Could we uh, give her a round of applause? And Janet, I wonder if we could close this time with, uh, if you wouldn't mind praying for us as a congregation and um, praying for us as we wrestle with how we can support uh, the work of the, the nations. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for our Lord Jesus that he gave up everything to be our Savior. We thank you that Jesus, you'll never leave us or forsake us. And we thank you that you want to share this this wonderful news with people that haven't heard it yet. And we ask you, Lord, to pour out your spirit on all the people at New Hope Church, that you would stir their hearts, stir their spirits for the things that are important to you the things that we don't talk about nearly as often as we ought to. We know, Lord, that you want all to come to saving faith. And I ask that you would work in the hearts of all the people here and show them what their role is in helping to grow your kingdom and bringing more people into your, into your kingdom so that <clears throat> when we all stand before the throne in the last day, the day of judgment, that there will be many, many, many millions of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that some of them will turn to people here and say, thank you, you were the one who told me about Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your, your, your love, your compassion for all people, that it's not just for some. And we ask you, Lord, to show us how you would would have us share in that and bring everyone to saving faith in you. We ask all this for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.